0: Alright church, well good morning. Welcome to Crosstown. I want to welcome those watching at all of our locations as well as our online viewers. You decided to pick a great Sunday to be at church. For one, You got perfect attendance for 2023. Keep it up. Ready to go. And then the other, we're starting a brand new message series today that I'm really excited about because it's about our church's vision statement. So this is going to be great if you're new to church, you get to know our church. This is great if you've been coming for a while. This is good to remind yourself, just like baseball players need spring training every year. This is a good reminder for those who have been attendants for a long time. And so we're starting a brand new series that I'm calling Church. In 3D, and we're going to talk about our vision statement of discovering, developing, and display. We want to lead people to discover, develop, and display full devotion to Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to talk about the first D, discover. Discovering a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Now, with that said, I need to point out that there's a difference between knowing about and truly knowing Someone. Uh, for example, I, I can tell you a lot about this guy. If you don't know who this guy is, he's Steph Curry, plays for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, I'm a big basketball fan. You guys probably know that. You probably Some of you might get sick of that. Uh, but Steph Curry, I can tell you a lot about him. He's the son of Del Curry, brother of Seth Curry, graduate of Duke. Uh, he graduated from Davidson College, first-round draft pick of the Golden State Warriors, four-time NBA champion, two-time MVP, and the all-time leader of three-pointers Made in the NBA. I can tell you a lot about him. Now, some of you are bored already. So, how about this guy? Maybe you don't like athletes, maybe you like actors. Tom Hanks, right? All-time actor, famous for so many roles. For example, Save It Private Ryan, great movie. or, Or Castaway, who doesn't love Wilson, the volleyball? Or Forrest Gump, my favorite. Turner and Hooch, and who can forget Woody and Buzz Lightyear, right? I can tell you a lot about Tom Hanks. I can quote a lot of lines from famous movies, and I can tell you a lot about Steph Curry. I can tell you a lot about Tom Hanks, but here's the thing. I've never met them before. I've never met them before. And so here's the principle. Knowing about does not equal personally knowing. Knowing about does not equal personally knowing. A lot of people know a lot about Jesus, but that doesn't mean that they personally know Jesus and have a life-giving relationship with him. And so here's where we're going to go for today's message. We're going to kind of answer three questions as we navigate this first D of our vision statement. Uh, Question number one is, what does it look like for someone to discover Jesus? Like, what does it look like for someone to come into a life-giving relationship with Jesus and know him as Lord and Savior? Uh, Second question, how does God make that happen? Like, how does God make this happen? And then finally, what is our part in that process, if anything? And so to answer these questions, I want to look at the Apostle Peter's story. And one of the things that's cool is when we look at the Apostle Peter's story, not only will we discover how to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus, but we'll also discover how to lead others into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ as well. Uh, Peter, the disciple, the follower of Jesus, and that's what we're called to be. So John chapter one is where we're gonna look at today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me there, or you can follow along on the screen. Check this story out. The next day, okay, so the context here is early on in John's gospel. Jesus not, has not started his public ministry. Um, the only public ministry that's really happening is this guy named John, John the Baptist. And so the next day again, John was standing with Two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus "'as Jesus walked by and said, "'Behold, the Lamb of God.' "'The two disciples heard him say this, "'the two disciples that were following John, the Baptist, "'heard him say this, and they started following Jesus. "'And Jesus turned and saw them following "'and said to them, what are you seeking? "'And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, "'where are you staying?' he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I've got a few observations before we continue on with this story. The first one is this. Andrew was one of John's Disciples, John the Baptist. And if you know who John the Baptist was, he was cousin of Jesus. And his whole life was about this one mission, to prepare the way of the Lord. That's a quote from the Bible, to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, which at that point, no one knew who the coming Messiah was. And then the second thing, the other thing I want, to, I want you to see is that the day that John pointed Andrew to Jesus as Jesus walked by was the day that Andrew stopped following John and started following Jesus. Okay, And then in verse 40, here's something interesting. We discover that Andrew had a brother named Simon, Peter. Peter, you probably have heard of before. um, But Peter, at this point in the story, is not named Peter. His name is Simon. And Simon is not a disciple of Jesus, but his brother Andrew is. And then we read in verse 41. He first found his own brother. Who's he? That's Andrew. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. I want you to notice something. Notice Andrew's first priority when he finds this Messiah. He goes to find his brother, and he brings his brother to Jesus. And that, church, serves us with a great principle, and that is this people come to know Jesus when those who have been found go find others who don't know Jesus and then bring them to Jesus. I know that's a mouthful, so let me repeat that. People come to know Jesus when those who have been found go find others who don't know Jesus and then bring them to Jesus. Now, keep that up there. There's some tension in that statement and in the text we read with the country and the culture in which we live in wouldn't you agree um, America is seemingly one of the only places on the globe where Christianity is not growing, and yet and yet we we have more quote unquote Christians in our country than most countries do. How is that possible? I mean how could that be possible if you have a a shrinking religion, a shrinking Christianity with so-called many, many Christians. Can I offer one possible reason? When we look at our American culture, could it be that a lot of people know about Jesus, but don't know Jesus personally? A lot of people know about Jesus, but maybe not the real Jesus meaning they haven't discovered a life-giving relationship with him. You know, what I love about this story and this passage, I love how Andrew doesn't just talk about Jesus. He actually brings his brother to Jesus. And so the application for, for us is simply this, that those who truly know, go find others who need to know. Those who truly know, go find others who need to know. Those who know They go the way we sit as a part of our DNA, our core values. At Crosstown, one of the banners at your campus is this. Found people, find people. Found people, go find people. When you've discovered the greatest news in the history of the world, you'll naturally want to share it with other people. Now, the other thing that you'll notice is uh, that when Simon is introduced to Jesus in verse, verse 42, Jesus looks at him and says these words. Verse 42 says, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Two things here. Before Peter knew Jesus, Jesus knew Peter. Peter. Before Peter ever knew Jesus, Jesus knew Peter. That's so encouraging to me, and here's why. Jesus is already at work in someone's heart well before we even start talking to them about God. That is encouraging. God goes before us as we try to share our faith with other people, and that's good news. The second thing that I want to point out here is that Jesus literally changed Simon's name upon meeting him, like their first meeting. Jesus shows up and changes his, his name. Uh, I just think that's kind of, you know, a little funny and a little bit weird. Simon's like, hi, how are you doing? And Jesus like, I know who you are. I know your daddy. In fact, I'm going to change your name right now. And Simon's like, uh, okay, uh, that's a little weird. I mean, has anyone ever come up to you when you first met them and just, boom, change your name just like that? But that's what Jesus does here. He literally changes Peter's identity. And I love how this passage shows Jesus' sovereignty to not only know all things, but the ability to change any one. But notice how that these disciples, these quote unquote disciples, at this point in John's gospel account are not fully bought in yet. They're not even officially called disciples. At this point in John's Gospel, at this point in the story, and so what I want to do is jump ahead to John chapter two. Uh, the setting here is the, a wedding. It's the wedding at Cana. If you're familiar with that, um, Jesus is invited to a wedding. You may know this story. the The party gets a little dry, and the reason why it gets a little dry is because they run out of wine. And so when they run out of wine, Jesus's mom gets. Jesus involved and says, you got to do something about this. And so Jesus takes these six stone jars of water and turns them into wine. And not just any wine, but the finest of wine. So you got to check this story out, and it contains a very important principle for us. John chapter 2 says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites for purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, the poor wine is, is brought out. Then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. By the way, this is Jesus' first miracle. Uh, He does with grapes in an instant what normally takes days. And he does it all with water. I mean, it's an incredible thing. And Jesus doesn't just produce a couple of boxes of wine. He produces like 120 gallons of wine. It's a pretty incredible miracle. But can you imagine Andrew, Philip, um, Peter, Nathaniel? One day they meet Jesus, and then the next day they're having the time of their lives at this party. They got to experience something amazing. And the reason why they got to experience something amazing was they were around Jesus. They got close to Jesus. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that miracles always happen when you get close to Jesus. But what it does mean is that when you get close to Jesus, you experience God in an incredible way, and he does some great things in your life. You get to experience his power when you get close to Jesus. It's also here that we learn a pretty valuable lesson from Mary. It's a little side note. But whenever you have a problem, what do you do? You get Jesus involved. <laughs> there's a problem. What does Mary, the mother of Jesus, do? He, she just gets Jesus involved. Life would probably go a little bit better if we just followed her example there. But besides these important lessons that we learn from this story, there's actually a second miracle hidden in this passage. And that is what we read here. His disciples, let's go back. His disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. See, up until this point, they were just following Jesus, mostly out of curiosity. They were merely spectators just waiting to see what Jesus was going to do next. But when Jesus does this first miracle, turning water into wine, all of a sudden their eyes are opened and they actually believe him for who he is. Um, Interestingly, though, John does not use the term miracles. He actually uses another word, signs. In fact, this is one of seven signs, the first of seven signs in John's gospel, pointing to the purpose of why John writes. And the purpose that we find of John's gospel is seen in verse 21, where he says, these are written, these, the signs, the stories that are in John's gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So what I want you to notice is that the sign in John chapter 2 was divinely designed for these disciples for this one purpose, so that they would believe in Jesus. And so while this water into wine at this wedding is a pretty cool story, the real miracle is that these disciples were saved. These disciples actually came to believe in Jesus. The water and a wine miracle was just the setup for something greater. Literally, the miracle was a sign pointing to someone greater, and his name is Jesus. So if that's John's purpose, here's what I want you to see. Not just to experience something great, like water turning into wine, but to experience someone great, then how does that happen? Like, how how does that happen? How do we come to believe in Jesus? How do we come to believe in Jesus? More specifically, how do we discover a relationship with him? Well, there's two things that that we learn here. Um, Two things that this passage teaches us. Number one, you got to put yourself in close proximity to him. That's what the disciples did. And that's what the disciples who started following Jesus did with the people that were close to them. People who were far from God, but close to them, they brought near to God and put them in close proximity. And that started the process of getting to know Jesus. But ultimately, and I think this is key, ultimately, he reveals himself to you. As you put yourself in close proximity to him, and as you put others in close proximity to him, it's ultimately God's responsibility to reveal himself to you or to those people. Why does Peter come to know Jesus? Why does Peter come to know Jesus? It's not because Andrew found him, although that was part of the process. It's not just because he was close to Jesus, although that was part of the process. It's ultimately because Peter met the real Jesus and the real Jesus revealed himself to Peter That is why Peter came to believe in Jesus. Um, It reminds me of the story in John chapter 6 where Jesus is preaching to the crowds, masses of people, and then he starts talking about some of these really, really hard to accept and hard to embrace teachings. And the result of them hearing it is many of the people... The crowd just went away and left Jesus having nothing to do with him. And he says this, Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 6, verses 67 through 69, he says, do you want to go away as well? Do you, want, do you guys, are you going to leave just like the crowd left? And Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter says, where else can I go? I mean, literally, where else can I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Peter was so convinced what he saw and what he heard that no one was gonna say anything or do anything to convince him otherwise. And then, here's what I want you to see. If we follow Peter's story, not just in John's gospel, but specifically in Matthew's gospel. I want you to follow the story in Matthew's gospel. We read this amazing account where Peter actually expresses for the first time, what he believes about Jesus, his true identity and the remarkable truth of who Jesus was. So Matthew chapter 16, this is what we read. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I love how there's a lot of people who have a lot to say about Jesus, even in our culture. Most of it's wrong. I mean, you'll hear a lot of people talk about Jesus, but most of it's wrong. We have one source. And so he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the term Christ is literally a title. Um, means Messiah, which is a title and a mission, meaning the anointed king of Israel to come back to save his people. That's what the word Christ means. He also used this term, the son of the living God. Son of the living God speaks to the nature of who Jesus is. That's Peter's confession in a nutshell. Peter is confessing that Jesus is both the king who came to save his people from their sin and the God who actually can get it done, the God who has the power to actually save. But it's interesting that after this confession, Peter's faith would be put to the test. And if you know of Peter's story, unfortunately, he fails the test. He denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times before the the, the rooster crows. But yet Jesus gives him a second chance. Jesus forgives, Jesus restores him. And when this second chance comes, Peter lives up to his name, The Rock. And Peter lives up to this confession. Peter is actually, when he expresses his faith, persecuted for his faith and is actually crucified upside down on a cross because he didn't count it worthy enough to be crucified the way his Lord was. He was able to stand strong. Peter lived, literally lived according to the confession of his faith. Why? Because he was restored by Jesus Jesus revealed himself to him. He was restored by Jesus. Peter lived according to his faith because he had a personal relationship with the real Jesus. And so the question that I think we all need to ask ourselves is is this. Do we live according to the confession we say we believe? Do do you live according to the confession that you say that you believe? In other words, does your faith make, make any difference in the way that you live your life? Does it match your faith? Does it make any difference in the way you live your life? And if not, hear me, hear me. If not, you may be part of the problem that I said earlier of having so many Christians in our nation, and yet Christianity seems to be shrinking in our nation. Why is it that we have so many Christians in our nation, according to the Joshua Project, 76% are Christian in our country, 26% evangelical, again, according to the Joshua Project website, and yet churches are closing at such a rapid rate. How do we have all these Christians and yet churches are closing? A study by Barner Research in 2020 um, found that 4,500 churches closed in that year alone. That's crazy, you get the pandemic in there, but literally the, the church, the building was not the church. The building was not the church. It was the people. How do 4,500 churches close? It's an amazing stat there. Could it be though, that there's a huge disconnect between what we say we believe and what we actually practice what we believe? I'm thinking that's probably something to do with it. So, What does this mean practically as we kind of land the plane, give you some next steps and some application to live out this first D within our vision statement so that we would be people who live out the confession we say we believe so that we can make a difference in other people's lives and bring people who are far from God close to him. How do we lead people to discover who Jesus is? I've got three next steps for you to consider taking today based on where you're at. The first one is this. We need to live out out of the confession that we claim. The faith that, that Peter expressed, the faith that we express, we need to live out of that with faith-filled actions, faith-filled obedience. Whether we, whether we struggle or not, we need to be diligent to examine whether or not we are in line with what we claim to believe. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. We need to, we need to commit to finding people far from God and bring them in close proximity to Jesus. Someone who is far from God, maybe close to you, But perhaps, I think this is some of the problem, perhaps you've gone to church for so long that the only people around you are the people like you and think like you and who believe in the same things as you do. And that could be a problem, especially when it comes to evangelism. Are you intentionally putting yourself around people who are far from God but can be close to you and you love them in such a way that they want to know more about Jesus and then you can take the opportunity to bring them in close proximity to Jesus? If you're found, the challenge is to go about finding other people. And that act of finding other people is intentional. It's going, it's putting yourself around people who don't know Jesus in environments where people don't know Jesus, whether it's in the public school or with coaching or athletics or maybe a book club or gymnastics, like you're involved in the, in, the, in the community, you're actively engaged with the people around you. Maybe it's in your apartment complex. I don't know, but you just need to be actively, intentionally engaged with the people who don't know Jesus and then bring them in close proximity to Jesus. And then maybe for you, maybe this third one hits home, especially maybe if you're new to church, you just came to church, you're just checking it out because it's a new year and you wanted to create a new rhythm in your life. But number three is if you're not a Christian, ask God to reveal his son to you. His spirit is leading you. If you're here today, I believe the spirit led you here to the place where you could hear the gospel, that you're a sinner in need of a savior, your sin is separates you from God and you can't do enough good in your life past present or future to override the sin that you've already done because God is holy and God demands perfection and the issue is heaven's perfect God is perfect and only perfect people are allowed in heaven unless someone perfect died for them for the forgiveness of their sins And that person is Jesus. On the cross, he died for our sins to be the atonement, literally to bring us at one mint with God, to reconcile us in right relationship with God, not because of who we are, but because of how perfect and how perfectly obedient Jesus was to his Father. He provides the sacrifice. He pays the penalty for us so that we don't have to go through that penalty and we can be restored in right relationship with God the Father. If that's something that God has been tugging on your heart, maybe you heard about Jesus, you know a little about Jesus, but you have not yet discovered a personal relationship with Jesus, today's the day. Like what better day would it be for you to give your life to Christ than the first day of the year? That would be an amazing decision. And so at all of our campuses, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, like I I couldn't preach a message about our vision to lead people to discover a relationship with Jesus without literally leading someone into a relationship with Jesus. If you're here, you're in close proximity, you heard about Jesus, now is your time to respond to this good news. And so with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you and Christ is calling you to himself, revealing him, you, uh, you to himself, I ask that you would pray this prayer silently to yourself as I prayed out loud. Make this personal between you and God. Pray something like, dear Jesus, thank you for living a perfect life in perfect obedience to God, the Father. And thank you for dying a sacrificial death on my behalf. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life, forgive me of my sin, and make me right before God. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your offer of mercy. Thank you for the faith that you've given me today. I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me live for you from this moment forward. And it's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. Church, friends, if you just prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? In fact, everybody can do it now at all of our campuses. Take the the connection card and the seat back in front of you that you probably filled out at the beginning of the service. And uh, if you just prayed that prayer to receive Christ, on the back side, there's a next step that says, I want to receive Christ as my Savior for the first time. I want to become a Christian for the first time. Check that box. And then at the end of the service on your way out, there might be some ushers there with a a box for you to drop your offering or your connection cards in. There might be a black box out in the foyer uh, at your campus. I want you to put that in there, hand it to someone, give it to your campus pastor. They would love to follow up with you and uh, help answer any questions that you might have, give you a Bible and help you get started in your relationship with Jesus. What a great decision that would be. But for everybody, if you know Jesus, here's here's the number one goal for you this year. That you would continue growing in your knowledge of him. As we just learned in our Ephesians series, Ephesians 2.17, that you would keep asking that the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to continue growing in your relationship with him. And part of that is finding someone far away from God who's close to you and bringing them into close proximity to Jesus. Let me pray for our church. Lord, thank you so much for how you're leading us. This is an exciting vision. We want to be a church that is a place of grace because we have been people who have found grace. We have discovered the greatest news in the history of the world, Lord, and we want to share that with other people, both near and far, both to the nations and to our neighbors, Lord. And this is scary. We don't always have the words to say, but we have the faith to believe that you would give us the words to say in the moment as we step out in faith and put ourselves around people who need to hear this good news. Lord, thank you for revealing faith to us. And now I pray that we would be good stewards of that so that we can lead others into a life-giving relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.